0: hottest takes from the last three weeks that's what we're talking about today on stealing bananas return i'm ben gretch you can find my newsletter man it's been a while since i've done this find stealing signals newsletter at bengretch.substack.com with me as always is sean siegel and you can find all of his fantastic workout rotavis continued to write while on his vacation sean not everything went swimmingly on the vacation but Sounds like it was a, you know, a, a good opportunity to, to see another part of the world. I know all the listeners are glad you're back. Got a lot of feedback. A lot of people wanted us to be figuring out. I mean, they just they just missed the show. And, and certainly, um, certainly you know, the, the stuff that you hear when you're a content creator is you should just do it consistently any way you can. But I got, I got a lot of stuff that's like, oh, you know, have a guest host or, you know, figure something out. Give, give us something to listen to. But this show started, Sean, as you and me being like, look, we're two friends that have these long, fun football conversations and we'll just record them and let people listen to them. It wouldn't have been the same trying to do anything while you were out uh, away. So we took a little break. We are back and that's, you know, that's the way that it is. We're back now and we talked for uh, over two hours before we hit record today, (laughs) but how are you doing? How, How was the trip? How was everything?
1: Good, good. It, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back. Never going on vacation again, Ben. No, I, I'm kidding. The, uh, but one of the things you and I talked about, one of the reasons why I kind of set up this way, this was, by my recollection at least, the first time that I took more than a day away from the site since like 2018. So that's that's a while back. Um, but but did do some articles. You and I obviously didn't. schedules when i'm on a different continent didn't fit well to do the show but obviously we were in contact we were enjoying ben one of the best parts actually of the travels was to watch our teams they went pretty close to unbeaten during that stretch and obviously it's just a couple weeks but you know we have more than one roster together and that part of the season and kind of where we are now with the season it's it just interesting because it, you often get a pretty good sense of where you're going to be after a couple of weeks. And the first couple of weeks didn't go particularly well, at very least for me, I think kind of for us, where you have the J.K. Dobbins injury, you have the Aaron Rodgers injury, which hurts both Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, two guys we were very high on. And then at least on my my side of it, there are some breakout guys that I was very excited about who didn't hit early. And so when you have some of those guys – Feathered into your teams, that part is also tough. And yet, and, and you know, and sometimes that's the way the season goes, right? This year, there's been such a, a fun progression and development and different times, turns. And I was even joking in my intro earlier this week about, you know, the the double edged sword of best ball and both the agony and sometimes the thrill is you can't cut your misses and so when a trey mcbride does what he's done recently you may have cut him off of all your redraft teams or too many of them but he's still on all of those best ball rosters and so you get to watch how that works then one of the developments recently one of the things that was just so devastating too was you get that little bit of a rough start but you have Devon on hn and such a high roster exposure there that he had pulled a big chunk of best ball mania teams into what you know would be a winning position after the first month to five games and so there's the excitement then he gets hurt and you're like man it just you know when are these guys going to stay healthy the players have started to hit at such a rate that my BBM three advance rate is higher now than when he went out. And obviously some of his particular teams have fallen out, but you're excited to maybe get him back at some point to pull him through that. Maybe you're going to have more rosters with him in it than, you know, some other H hand owners because you know, those teams you'll have to compete with later. That part has all been very, very exciting, but yeah, I mean, so fun to travel. Great to spend some time with family, get to see the Oracle at Delphi that Sort of a, a once in a lifetime thing Get to see the Parthenon there at the Acropolis. Get to take a an evening cruise along the Bosporus and see all of those amazing sights there on the river in Istanbul. Um, even with some of the things that you know we're less fortunate that we won't go into here. Yeah, I just so grateful for family. So grateful for the fantasy community. So grateful for you know being born into. A really lucky life because one of the things that you know we do see with world events is that many people are not and so anyway just come back to the show with a lot of gratefulness and so excited to be back with you i mean best friends that's what life is about and those couple hours just chatting were wonderful ben you've been knee deep in this as we go through what what are we seeing now in fantasy football here what are the big stories that i mean christian mccaffrey having an extraordinary season travis Etienne somehow doing it every week despite the fact that the jaguars mostly are not putting him in the best situations and yet man one of the things you know we hear all the time is oh this guy's going to be working as a receiver this guy's going to be split out wide so this guy's going to do this that, other thing and you're like well when it gets to the actual season no he is not and yet we see a 50 yard touchdown pass to travis Etienne, that number one allowed the jaguars to kind of pull away in this game number two you get a 50 yard touchdown reception to your running back and we saw this also with Brees hall a very different type of play but Brees hall the yards per route is kind of extraordinary you look at his route numbers versus Bijan, and where they are actually scoring points as receivers that contrast is interesting but Etienne did it with some air yards this is kind of what we're hoping to see from him and trevor lawrence I mean, the Jaguars have been very good, but it's been a little bit of the same kind of story that we've gotten with the Kansas City Chiefs this year. I mean, the Chiefs don't have a Travis Etienne by by any stretch, but both of those teams kind of doing it with defense. And yet, if you're thinking of the Jaguars, of them being kind of this stealth Super Bowl candidate, I mean, Etienne needs to make some of these plays. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that throw was a great throw, and especially when you're not quite getting what you really probably want from Calvin Ridley. You've got these multiple guys in the passing game, and yet the passing offense is not explosive. This is one of the signature plays of the year for me.
0: That's a great play. You asked kind of what's going on. I, I think I, I want to go back to what you were saying. Uh, and obviously, great to have you back and everything you mentioned. Um, so cool to get the opportunity to do those things. You mentioned our teams have done very, very well. I just want to update the listeners on that. We have five teams in the FFPC main event. This is just one example. It's what I pulled up while you're talking. We have, You mentioned to me that our advance rate on some of the underdog teams that we did is has moved up, and we have a, a few in advanced position right now, which is nice. Um, I've seen some other stuff where some of our – we have some, still some other stuff sc- straggling around that uh, teams are in good spots, but I think the core of what we do is the FFPC main event stuff. And I know we've talked with the listeners a lot about these teams in the past, probably wondering when we're actually going to win something. We have five teams. They are in first place, first place, third place, fourth place, and fifth place across their five divisions at the moment. The team in fifth is only five points behind. The team in first in that division, it's one that had more points against, but is actually the third highest scoring of our five teams. So it's not, you know, it's not our lowest scoring team or anything, It's a strong team. They are all five strong teams. And so I say all this, what I'm about to say, I guess from that position, I'm certainly not trying to brag or what have you, but if there's a question of like, how are we at, where are we at? What we've kind of missed on is the the buildup for a couple of weeks of like, yeah, our, our portfolio looks fantastic right now and talking through as it's gotten better. And so I think there's a lot of stuff we could discuss in terms of where we're at in fantasy football right now about how we are, where we are. The first thing I want to emphasize, is you talked about us doing well in these last few weeks, you have talked about, for as long as I've known you, that the way that we draft the intent is to crush when the bye weeks hit. We want to have strength through the starting lineup into the bench. It's something that I have re-communicated. I don't know. I can't think of the word. To my subscribers at Stealing Signals, I've bought into this for many, many years. And I, I initially really bought into it from your you know, analysis and, and teachings and what have you, things that you've written over the many years. But the idea has always been depth and strength beyond the starting lineup, beyond what feels like during your draft is enough, have way more than enough firepower because stuff happens in season. And I think it's more evident than ever with this i wrote about this in an intro and in stealing signals over the last couple of weeks but with the season having gotten longer and the health stuff we've talked to over the last couple of years where players i think teams are a little more cautious with players i think they're a little more cautious in any given game uh because they, it is a little bit of a longer season now and they have a little bit of a longer view than when you know i was learning how to play fantasy football and, and you were early in your fantasy football years 15 20 years ago when everything was like you 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 were do or die every Sunday. If you were active, you were playing through broken ribs. If you, you know, and I just I don't think there's as much of that in the NFL. These guys are still warriors. I'm not trying to minimize it, but I don't think there's as much of that in the NFL today. And it's it's good for the players, frankly. I think it's the right approach. But in terms of the impact on fantasy football, you have more players, I think, missing time. Um, more, let's get this guy right we talked a little bit, I think before you went about Justin Jefferson getting put on IR. And I was talking about, I thought that was a cautionary IR that has played out that way. It seems like they just put him on IR because they're like, we're going to, we're going to not have a conversation every week about him being eligible. We're going to put him on the shelf for four weeks. And I do think he'll probably be back next week based on everything that we've heard throughout. Um, that kind of a thing where it's like, we have a long season, like you're, we're not going to push you and and have you put like, we're going to set expectations. You're going to miss four games. IR it is. And I, the fact that the IR is only four weeks now, I mean, we see that used a ton as we're recording this right now. I mentioned to you in the pre-show that there was a note uh, that came across, uh, you know, on my phone, a notification that Darren Waller might be the next guy to go on, you know, cause he kind of re-injured his hamstring this weekend. Okay. We'll put you on the shelf for four weeks. I mean, that's th- those types of things. Right. So I I'm clearly have, have made that point, but, there's more need for depth and for the ability to put a guy on your bench and rotate other players in you talked about A Chan for example a great option for some some rosters early and hopefully late but in this time in between you need something else right cuz he's been on IR for a few weeks and that's exactly what and i just I, it's like a you know i love it when a plan comes together thing because that's what the whole draft strategy has been about is the bye week crushing and we've been doing that the week that you left Sean you're like I think we're in a good spot hopefully we get good uh scores from you know the the different teams this week that'll really put us in a good spot every team scored 150 that week or more in FFPC which is a strong score for people who aren't super familiar with the format and then since then have the like you said it just continued to crush ultimately they're all in very good spots and they're in good spots as rosters the, and I, I, the reason I'm saying this is we've had a couple seasons in the last couple of years where it hasn't been this perfect, but we've continued to preach these ideals. And so I want to emphasize it when it is going the, right, the, the way that it is. But the, the idea of these rosters is we're not investing a lot of running back capital early. We're understanding that at this point in the season, running back capital doesn't matter anymore in a lot of cases. I mean, essentially you go look at the running backs other than Christian McCaffrey, maybe, you know, Austin Eckler, whatever. Most of the running backs, it's like, it, like, it doesn't really matter whether, whether they were drafted early, middle, late, like there's, there's a, a, you know, productive running backs and unproductive running backs. We're at the point in the season where you understand why ADP value isn't super predictive of running back scoring all season long is what I'm trying to articulate. Meanwhile, a receiver, the guys that are continuing to smash are, are the good, you know, Tyree kill, AJ Brown, Stefan Diggs. I mean, obviously you had like Puka Nakua and stuff, but there are a lot more of the elite receivers playing elite. And, and, and dominating the top of the leaderboard. You mentioned ETN and Brees Hall, two guys we were really in on, and that's a whole nother narrative of, of the season that I think we want to get into, but something, or I, I said narrative because what I wanted to say is something that I think has been really interesting with those types of guys and something that's happened this year is some of the analysis that you and I have been less inclined to believe and have kind of felt was more narrative-based and maybe built on small sample evidence for, for Brees Hall, it was the, uh, the return from the ACL. We talked a lot about this in the preseason that we didn't think that meant that he couldn't have upside. And the payoff was worth the price. And what you're seeing right now is this guy is a guy that anyone who didn't draft him wishes they had. I've seen a lot of people tweet, man, I wish I had Brees Hall. That's a mistake. I'm taking the L on that. And then Travis Etienne, same thing. The, the preseason usage and some of the stuff, he's not going to play enough on the short yardage. He's not going to catch enough passes. He's not going to be a high-value touch guy, even though his profile is elite. We thought that was a little bit narrativey narrative-y. Too much positive in his profile to let him go at the price he was going at. These are things that we've played into some of that type of stuff in the last couple of years, Sean, and we have to admit that they haven't always gone our way. But the point that we always play into these things is when they go our way, ideally, The the hit is big, right? Like the idea is that this is league winning. We've built rosters with these guys on it that look so much better now than they looked in week one. And that's the point I'm really trying to emphasize here is the way that we're trying to build these teams as they start to crush in the bye weeks, you're also looking at this roster like this is the exact roster I would want to have right now. I would not want to have other players in the early rounds or whatever. Another way that we have framed this or people have framed this is the teams that we build or the ways that we like to build kind of zero running backy teams, which isn't entirely how we built this year, uh, obviously targeting some of these dead zone backs that I'm referencing and things like that, but the zero RB-ish philosophy and a lot of depth and not emphasizing the starting lineup and not emphasizing older players who were in roles early in the season the, the the thing that is often said about that is we are not going to do as well early in the year, right? Like those teams are going to score early, the the veterans are going to score, and then they're going to probably fall off. We're waiting for rookies to hit. We have this depth that we're waiting to, to rise to the top. So all I'm trying to say is we are through eight weeks right now, Sean, and our teams are in great position. And those were the first eight weeks, they're set up to be better in the second, you know, eight or nine weeks. That doesn't mean they will, but they the I the whole idea is and 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 this is it coming together. I do think that's very important to emphasize. As you were talking, it wasn't a rant I intended to go on, but as, as you were talking about how our teams have been doing well, a fun little you know idea popped in my head, particularly as it related to Brees Hall and ETN and some of those moments uh, that have been really exciting with them in the last couple of weeks.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
0: Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Have get 30 30 get 30, get 20 20 20 get 20 20, get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So,
1: give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
2: $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: And it does go back to this point about Really high end talent and being willing to have some patience. And one of the things that we were actually excited about and sort of emphasizing in terms of getting off to a fast start was the possibility that even though he has had all the injury elements, that J.K. Dobbins might actually be the guy who is extremely undervalued, has the big talent. You obviously see, you know, Gus Edwards score the three touchdowns this most recent week you know, if you, if you had a really high Dobbins exposure, then I mean, you're, you're excited for Gus Edwards, who has battled back from his own kind of near career ending injuries and, you know, is an underdog story. And I think that, you know, you, you want to be very excited for him. You know, there could have been some big Dobbins points there, but even with him kind of going out, one of the things that we tried to do this season was to take advantage of these new running back prices, but take advantage of it in a way That would still potentially allow you to build the wide receiver depth that you would also need which means this kind of tension or this ability to draft a team where you're willing to take the big risks and you have the discipline to not throw away other picks because you're going to need those especially as you're taking the risk so kind of what i mean by that is that we have a variety of teams that are very interesting to me, because they're a little bit different than what we would have had in the past when we get to this point where very much you're thinking, okay, there are zero RB guys who are scoring a ton of points. You could have teams with Zach Moss, you could have teams with Kyron Williams. Hopefully, you know, for people who do have him, you know, he'll be back scoring points, you know, at some time in the year. Obviously, you have Achan again. Hopefully, he'll be back scoring some points. So there are some guys who could do that, but you and I have teams that have both Christian McCaffrey and Travis Etienne. And those are the running back one and running back two right now. We have teams, obviously Raheem Mostert would be another guy kind of in that zero RB mold. But we have teams that have both Etienne and Brees Hall. We have teams that have one of those guys with Jonathan Taylor. And so when you're talking about being at this point in the season, being in good position scoring-wise, and then having teams that can get two guys from that McCaffrey, Etienne, hall jonathan taylor group then i mean you're thinking okay we've got two guys who could be you know in the mix for the 101 next year now probably that's not going to happen we've talked about all the reasons why i mean obviously you know guys like tyree kill justin jefferson you know even with a little bit of a a rough way the season is going you know cooper cup even certainly jamar chase the receivers are going to be very highly coveted and yet when you think about the running backs that in the past would be very clear-cut top five picks to have not just like the the two perfect guys but to have a mix of like four players who all really fit that mold of elite elite running backs to have them on rosters where you like the other guys. One of the things that's kind of interesting right now, it's been a little bit disappointing the amount of production we've gotten from Jerry Goff and Geno you know, Smith, but we have teams with Tua. That part of it has been awesome, even though, I mean, Tua really has, and the Dolphins have left some passing points on the table that you know may seem strange for people to think when Tyreek Hill is having this amazing season. But there are ways where Tua could be scoring more points. I guess, Ben, if I would make a prediction, it would be that Tua actually averages more points per game from this point to the end than he has so far. Again, a little bit of a strong take considering what Hill has done, but I think you're going to get more from Waddle. You're going to get more from some of the other guys. You're going to even get these running backs to score points in the receiving game. That part will help. Sam Howell has been a wild ride where he's the QB8, but you might not have played him in some of those games. And then we're also looking to figure out ways in which you might add some people. Ben, obviously the big name this week was Will Levis, but I kind of think that Joshua Dobbs is interesting when you're talking about the rushing value and then him moving into this Minnesota Vikings offense that has pieces. I mean, you're talking about going from a Cardinals team that, yeah, I mean, Marquise Brown, probably pretty good, certainly fast. Rondale, an interesting piece, never has any coaching staff figured out how to use him in a way that makes much difference. Trey McBride, I would like to say an emerging star, you know, maybe a flash in the pan, but you go from that. To what the vikings have and you go from a team that is playing really hard in the cardinals but you know is also pointed toward possibly the number one pick to a vikings team that is really interesting there are going to be some ways to score points with those quarterbacks so the quarterback position has been very interesting obviously you've got josh allen and jalen hurts still separated you've got this bounce back season from justin herbert but it's been possible to play without the early QB picks. So you know that part and that tension I think is interesting. And then Ben, the area that we've been just massively hitting and has been a lot of fun is a tight end where we have a lot of Laporta teams, but we also have teams that are either a Kittle team or a Kyle Pitts team. You know, maybe that the move to Heineke will make that Pitts play really work, especially if I mean hopefully Drake London is able to go as well. But I mean there's some potential there. And then you've got some guys behind them like a Trey McBride. On some of those teams to be able to get tight end points. And it's not exclusively one guy this season. So I think that part of it is fun. But when you don't have Travis Kelsey really taking the lid off completely, when you don't have Mark Andrews crushing the entire position, those guys you would still prefer to have if you didn't have to pay for them, right? And they're still the best guys. But what Laporta is doing. That part maybe is the most fun thing that's happened so far. I I really like the balance of these teams. and, And you look at it and you think, I mean, you could have a guy have a bad game who's an important player and still go out and win. I mean, 2022, one of the things that was just, you know, kind of boring about it was that you got the stars scoring points and then the rest of the guys were very blah. I mean, you could have a full team of guys who were fun and interesting and high scoring this season. And in many ways, you need to have that in order to be competitive because of the scoring landscape. I guess I just like fantasy football to be more fun, to have more points scored, and the NFL has been more fun. I mean, 2023 is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, couldn't agree with all that more. We have the the chasing stolen. I was just thinking through, as you were saying that, the Laporta thing is probably my favorite thing because we have them on a lot of spots on these FFPC teams. tied tight in premium, obviously. That's fantastic to see. There's another one where we're talking about a point that i want to i guess expand on a little bit where we we talk in the off you know there's off-season narratives and they they latch on in this industry and they are the only thing that matters we've had a lot of conversation about rookie tight end scoring over the years and that was the only reason that could justify where laporta was going because his profile and his situation they were holding him out of the preseason they were clearly going to make him uh 90% routes guy from week one. I mean, it was just obvious. Everyone agreed with that. It was just like, well, historically, rookie cute tight ends are not doing that well. And you were the one that got me on the portal Again, I got to give you a lot of credit here. I'm glad I jumped on that early enough because I got ended up with a lot of him as well. But it was like, man, why wouldn't you want to bet on this player, right? Like, why wouldn't? Uh, and and we – in anyway, I just pulled up our chasing stolen bananas team with Pat and Pete, the ship chasing guys that I do stuff with uh, every Thursday night on, on, on Thursday Night Football, obviously, over on ship chasing. That's a team that has Tua and Laporta. And when you have your favorite and, and best sort of late quarterback hit and best sort of late tight end hit, as you were just talking about, the balance is so fun. This team has McCaffrey and Etienne, right? The running backs are awesome. <laughs> and then it also has all, our traditional receiver depth. We paid a ton to get Pukunakua onto this roster. It has Waddle, Pickens, Higgins, jsn it's not as like it doesn't have an elite first round receiver because we had mccaffrey but it is a team that has depth and upside and you know it's got wanda robinson Traylon burks quentin johnston and marvin mims none of those guys and jalen hyatt i mean maybe none of those guys are going to hit but we're we're definitely pocketing every breakout possibility (laughs) from here on out hoping we can find one uh in addition to the other you know more veteran names that i already mentioned so there's a lot of upside at receiver and that team is a great example of the balance that you talked about. I wanted to find one roster where we had both Tua and Laporta because they're the, the ones that for me are just, like you said, I mean, are so fun. And you mentioned a lot of players there, the Howell stuff. I mean, I think Howell's really coming on. There was something else you mentioned that I'm, I'm forgetting. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's very cool to see the way the rosters have come together.
1: What are your thoughts there on Jonathan Taylor? Obviously we used an early pick on him in one of our leagues and everything melted down you know, within like 72 hours after. That was a little disappointing. And then he was dynamic in that first half on Sunday. And then they had a little bit of a, a weird deal. Zach Moss has been very, very good, not only in terms of fantasy scoring, <laughs> where he is the overall running back four but his peripherals are also excellent and some of that has stretched across quarterbacks so we felt like these running backs were going to be dynamic with anthony richardson because of the threat that he has but also that this offense might be aggressive enough and fast-paced enough that there would be pressure on the defense even when gardner Minshew is there at qb and we've seen some of that and josh downs has been somebody who is on some of our teams and I mean he's not going to be a like a league winner league winner but someone who gives you that wide receiver depth he has played extremely well obviously they have Michael Pittman and yet this is a weird game where you've got both of those guys and in part Moss playing pretty well they're like well we wanted to get him the ball even though we have Taylor but this game ends with like 19 consecutive Gardner Minshew dropbacks if I counted correctly certainly something in that range even if I did not yeah, you're trailing. You've got some game script elements there, but this seems like a weird one, man. Where, where are we going to go with this Colts team that yeah, I mean, the AFC South is awful, and so you know, we talked a little bit about the Diamondbacks and, and Major League Baseball when the two of us were just chatting before, and how you never want to like throw away a season where you could have made the playoffs because you don't know what's going to happen. I would say even though the Football is a one-game scenario as opposed to these series that you get with baseball and basketball and that sort of thing. There is such a gap between teams like the Chiefs and a team like the Indianapolis Colts that, I mean, you you do want to be building something sustainable. You want to be building for the long term. You're not going to win the Super Bowl with Gardner Minshew. Was it weird that they chased so much in this game, especially because Minshew has not – I, I wouldn't say he hasn't played well. I mean, we know that Minshew can move the ball, and that's something in your backup quarterback. The teams that have a backup quarterback who can move the ball, that's a weapon. And yet most of those guys, they can move the ball, but you're also not going to get mistake-free play. Minshew has not been mistake-free you know, since he was forced to take over for Anthony Richardson. I guess I'm wanting you to tell me that the Colts are going to give us some massive Jonathan Taylor games over the next six weeks.
0: They are. I, I Yeah, I'll tell you that. Um, I did remember what I was going to say in the last segment, so I want to say that real quick, and then I'm going to go to Taylor. But um, the other player was Kyle Pitts, who you had mentioned, among others. Potentially the Heineke thing will improve for him. And I was just going to say that for anyone who was laughing at this mention of, hey, things are going to get better for Kyle Pitts, it feels right now. I mean, I, just, I always like to emphasize in-season the way that things feel after they go right. It feels right now like the Brees Hall – breakout was inevitable. Like the Travis Etienne thesis was inevitable, but those guys were going where they were in drafts because that was not inevitable because there was real risk about Hall's knee. And Javante Williams, by the way, has looked really good. He's the multi-ligament one. He was going even later. He started to look really good, have a lot of optimism for his potential impact in weeks, you know, double digit weeks, which we knew would be a little bit of a slower build for him. Ben, I was so blown away and excited
1: by the Trey McBride of merchants that I felt comfortable telling readers to go trade for Ramondre Stevenson this week. I think he is the next one. I
0: mean, he's the next one yeah. where it feels like it can't happen, but that's the point I'm trying to make is, is with Pitts right in this moment. And I don't even want to say with Ramondre, cause Ramondre has looked bad, Sean, but that's the thing is like, you, you, you don't, there is no – I mean, there are risk in these plays. And so, I mean, if your inclination when we bring up Kyle Pitts' name – and if anything, if Kyle Pitts just continues to fail forever, that's what we can be laughed at for continuing to tout Kyle Pitts that allows us to continue the same exact strategy of targeting all of these types of players next year because it's been the same strategy for like a decade. But nobody wants to do it because they don't want to be the one who has to get laughed at about – going after Kyle Pitts three years in a row when it doesn't work for that player. And if Kyle Pitts ends up being that player, that's going to be very unfortunate. But some a little of little worried other...
1: that Kyle Pitts is
0: not that great a player. Yeah, I'm getting a little worried about that too. I will readily admit that. But the point I'm trying to make is the feeling you get when you think about Kyle Pitts actually breaking out at this point, how impossible that sounds, is similar to the feeling you got of uh, not necessarily – Exactly the same, but similar to the feeling that, that people felt, certainly, some people, about Brees Hall's ability to, to play this year after the ACL, about Etienne's ability to be a receiving back and have goal line work, because both of those things felt in jeopardy, about Sam Laporta's ability to be, uh what is he, the tight end two right now? I don't know where he's at, actually. Maybe tight end three, because Hawkinson's up there. I'm going to pull it up. The tight end three. Uh, overall, through eight weeks of his rookie season ahead of Mark Andrews, no, of course, nobody thought that was that was not possible. That wasn't possible, except it's happened, right? And so, the point is, right now, it feels in hindsight like this was inevitable. We should have known Sam Laporta. I just said that a little bit ago, how glad I was to get on this, and because all the signs are pointing positively. But the point I was trying to make about all these narratives that we believed in the past and how this has been a season that really emphasizes that you can't always just let one thing be like that red flag that you're going to scratch them off your board because this has been a season for shattering those types of things. Running backs can't play the year after an ACL rookie tight ends can't perform, you know, Travis Etienne, the usage stuff, the preseason usage stuff and, and, and really digging into that kind of stuff that can't possibly go any other way. When we're sitting on the show saying that's what it does that you have to realize in season, Things happen differently. Like we talked about this about Josh Jacobs' 2022 season, where people went back in hindsight and said, "Remember when he played in the um, in the Hall of Fame game?" And it was like, "Yeah, I mean, he did play in the Hall of Fame game. That's a real thing that happened." And in Week One, he played his lowest snap share of the season, if I'm not mistaken. He ramped up in season to his full role, and it was like Week Four or whatever that he took off and ended up becoming a really big player for the Raiders last year. It wasn't something that was inevitable from the Hall of Fame game through to week one. It was something that happened during the year it ramped up. And those other things have happened uh, for other players. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor. He's a great example where where we sit right now feels a little bit daunting. What I would say, and the reason I would be optimistic is two reasons. One, I do feel like the last couple of weeks watching these games, you see a clear Clear difference between Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. Zach Moss has been a little banged up. They had a 40-yard run last week where he went through a huge hole, very well-blocked play, and basically veered off to the sideline and like let, let somebody kind of run him down and run him out of bounds. A few years back, Sean, we talked about the when they were giving Jonathan Taylor touches to other backs in this backfield – the waste of not giving every touch to a player who can make every touch a game breaking touch, right? Like you're, you're missing opportunities to potentially impact the game. I think pretty quickly, number one, the Colts are going to recognize, they, I think they're going to keep it a little bit balanced and, and Moss has been good, but the ways they've looked to me the last couple of weeks, and I know Moss peripherals look good as well. I do think we're going to head toward more Taylor because he just looks like you have to give him every touch in the last couple of weeks, vis-a-vis, Moss. It looks like an issue. The second thing is. Well,
1: and you think about like that Jets giants game. And if they had run a different play on the one where Brees hall scores, the long touchdown, you're like, you just don't know which play is going to be. And yeah, I mean, a 50 yard touchdown is unlikely on every play, but on any given play, if you have that guy who can do it in there, you've got a shot at it. If you give that play to a Dalvin cook, Dalvin cook is not a bad player. His ability has not vanished. You've and been picking him similar. up. You've, you've <laughs> been adding him to a couple of our rosters. I'm like, shut what are you doing? <laughs> the situation there, even with how well Zach Moss has played, is that like you don't know what play you're going to give Zach Moss during the game. If you had given it to Jonathan Taylor, it would have won you the game. I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. That second half was weird, though.
0: I kept checking to see so, if he was hurt.
1: Because, I mean, I just don't see yeah. how that happens if he's not hurt. It's really
0: bizarre. The second part of it, and it is it is bizarre, but I don't think they'll do that again. I do think that was weird sequencing to a certain degree. They ran a lot, the drives, leading into the Saints scoring a touchdown that pushed the game from 21-20 to 28-20, and they had a quick three and out, and then the Saints had another touchdown. And the fact that they were able to score the Saints late third and early fourth, and then the the, the Colts get the ball back and are now down 35-20, to and that's when they threw their final, you know, three possessions. They threw basically every snap. And the, the three and out was, was three passes. But it was a thing where, like, if you have a three and out sandwiched by two touchdowns and the game goes from 21-20 to feeling like it's out of hand suddenly, you start to chase. And you were asking, are they always going to chase? I think it was a little bit of the Saints being able to execute and score touchdowns on both of those drives back-to-back with a three and out sandwiched between that that pushed them into, we, we got to start throwing and get back in this. Because it was a close game up to that point. It was a back-and-forth game. Uh, I had I had bet on the Colts, and I was very much watching it, thinking the Colts are going to win. I was like, they're in control of this. They're doing well. And then those two drives, that moment from the third to the fourth quarter really shifted. And from then on, it was like, okay, well, this game's over now. Uh, and so they they went into to comeback mode, garbage time mode. But the second thing I was going to say about the Colts is that Shane Steichen has really, really impressed me. The way that he ran the offense with Anthony Richardson, I thought was fantastic. The best way to get his, the most you could out of his skill set. And then I think he's done a lot right with Gardner Minshew, who is limited. He's a backup, but he's a backup that can at least support production. And we have a lot in the fantasy community right now, Sean, I don't know if you've been tracking the quarterback injuries while you've been overseas, but it's been bad. At least Gardner Minshew can keep a fantasy offense afloat. I, I'm, I'm not going to criticize Gardner Minshew, but a lot of what they've done from a pace perspective, from game script and game situation and play calling, even this drop back a ton stuff, I actually think made some sense based on where they were at. And after those two TD drives that I was just mentioning, I will note, they threw every play and scored on that drive, and they cut it to 35-27. And so they, it worked, and then they tried again the next two drives, and it didn't work the, the final two drives. They end up losing, obviously. But they were they were chasing, and, and some of it worked for their passing game at that point. They, do, they got immediately criticized for that. I noted in Stealing Signals that Jonathan Taylor played a lot in the second half, but he was... He was out for the one drive that they ran a bunch, and Zach Moss got a bunch of carries, including the 41-yard carry. He was in, and ran a lot of routes on all the dropbacks. But Minshew was pushing it downfield. There wasn't a lot of passing to Taylor. Um, I, I think the the pace, the aggressiveness. I think these guys are going to play fun games. They have an indoor stadium for some of the you know the weather stuff that happens late in years. I think you're going to see Jonathan Taylor progress into a larger role. And also that you have to feel really good about this team and this offense for fantasy. And what happened this past week in terms of the really pass heavy fourth quarter is not what most of their games are going to look like. I'm really excited for Taylor. Yeah. When you have
1: that level of talent in an offense that is calling plays and attacking drives with intention, that part is exciting. One of the things that, you know what's happened with the falcons and one of the things that you know led to this qb change is that even though we all know what arthur smith is about they had really spiraled into a situation where you know they don't have an offensive identity even though they want it to be the running game one of the things that was bizarre about week eight is that you have a team with andy Reid as the head coach and patrick mahomes as the quarterback that does not have an offensive identity and i think that when you're talking about the defending super bowl champions you're talking about patrick mahomes it's almost impossible to get to the point where that team doesn't have an identity what identity they do have is really based around their defense at this point i think they will be interesting to track we have a ton of Rashi rice and He's not a headliner in the way a lot of the other guys that we've discussed today on the show are. And yet, I'm excited about him. And I do think that even though this game with the Broncos was a step back for the whole team, it was just really one of these outlier types of games. You have them now playing in Germany. Uh, having done some international travel myself, I'm not excited <laughs> what that's going to do to the health and bodies of any of those players. So, uh, you know, some weirdness there. And yet, I mean, it almost couldn't break better for him with a situation now that Kadarius Tony experiment has failed. They, I, one of the things I'm kind of glad that I sort of missed, at least for a day or two, was them like somehow now having McCall Hardman back on the team. He manages to muff up, <laughs> up in that game. Like, <laughs> Nicole, you, say that, you say that as a Chiefs fan. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what they're doing there. Ben, maybe one of the saddest things, because, I mean, we don't have our season built in any way, shape, or form around Sky Moore this year. But, I mean, that has just been like a Greek tragedy, right? I mean, he has a play in this last game in a crucial moment where he gets open behind the defense for a touchdown. Ben, Sky Moore cannot drop balls because he can't get his hands close enough to the ball, even when it's on him, for it to count as a drop. I don't think I've really ever seen anything like it. So that part has been demoralizing. On the opposite side of the ball, Jerry Judy can't play, Portland Suns <laughs> weird. Like Sorry. Marvin Sorry. Mims evidently Sorry. doesn't like factor into the equation, but you've been writing about it over at Stealing Signals. We had a discussion about it when Jaleel McLaughlin was the big pickup. He has looked good, and yet we, we talked about some of these real headliners at running back. You mentioned Javante Williams. He has started to look really good. Are are we going to see actually the Denver Broncos as being a team that like is a real team, not just a powerhouse, but factors into the AFC playoff picture, even if it's just as a spoiler over the second half here, I mean, really the week eight could not for two teams that have been hugely disappointing in the Broncos and the Raiders week eight, Gave the the Broncos some life and gave the Sean Payton tenure, I think some enthusiasm, whereas obviously Josh McDaniels, you know, gets fired. But again, there are some things with the Raiders that I feel like I've never seen before either. But I mean, Javante Williams, he looks like a guy who could be not necessarily Alan Kamara, but could be a big impact player and does have enough roundedness to his game to help them across the board, even when they can't get their receivers involved.
0: I agree with all of that. I'm not going to give you the same optimism that I just did with the Colts though. This is, uh, I feel like Sean Payton's running the the clock out on the season. He is, has already cut Russell Wilson in his mind. We've talked about the decision they have on the fifth day of the league year next year. I don't think Russell, I mean, they, 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 and Wilson's will, will sort of play along, but they don't, whether they don't allow him to, or he's not doing it, or the offense is structured, whatever, he's not throwing the ball down the field. I mean, this was the most ridiculous win, and you, I mean, the Chiefs lost the game. They turned the ball over five times. The Broncos completed twelve passes all game, and uh, seven of those went to their running backs, who each caught at least two passes. Their entire receiving, wide receiver, and tight end group. Combined for five receptions, Cortland Sutton had two. Jerry Judy had two. Marvin Mims had one. I'm at the point where I'm actually ready to cut Marvin Mims, even though I think he's going to be a star in redraft. Because even if he gets into the Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton role, these guys are already playing a ton of snaps, and they can't even catch more than two balls in a game where the team wins because they are it's it's a, it's a it's a gimmick. I mean, and you talked about it. In the offseason, that you thought this offense would be very focused on the running backs. I didn't really understand that. And even when we picked up Jaleel McLaughlin that week, I wasn't as into that pickup um, or had the opportunity to. We didn't actually get him in a lot of leagues because we spent so much on Puka Nakua in most of our teams, uh, which is part of the reason that our, our rosters are in good shape right now. Is that, that helped us in the first few weeks, I guess. That does need to be noted. But the McLaughlin play and how it was going to work out, Part of your optimism was you thought that this would be a very running back focused team and the expected points for the running back position are going to be high, et cetera. And I do think that's going to be the case. And I hope that that will work out well for Javante Williams, who snapshot up over 60% this past week. I do. I do want to award a caution on Williams. He's not running enough routes, a little bit of a concern. He's very clearly their lead runner. They end up with 32 running back rush attempts in this game. He gets 27 of those 32. That's a massive number the receiving stuff far more split. So they were in that situation where they wanted to run a ton, and he was their guy. He's going to be their heavy runner, which can be a little bit of a problem sometimes, right, because you're just sometimes racking up low-value touches. You can look good and not actually score a ton. But he would presumably get goal line work. The problem is, can the offense actually score a lot of points? I'm, again, five takeaways in this game, and they still only, you know, it's not like they – They get all these extra opportunities on offense. They have 240 yards of offense. They have 87 net passing yards. I mean, this is like, be real. Like, this is an unserious football team. And I do think it's Sean Payton saying, look, I don't want Russell Wilson to look good enough to make it hard to cut him, right? So, like, in some situations, we talk about the uncertainty of the season and the ways that things can play out and and. You just talked about Taylor Heineke taking over quarterback might actually make the Atlanta passing game vaguely interesting. That's something that felt impossible a couple weeks ago, but things can happen that at least make you have a little bit of optimism. My concern with the Broncos is I don't think Russell Wilson's playing bad enough that you can justify benching him at any point, but I also don't think that they have any reason to actually go for it because then they get in a a, a problem of the decisions in the offseason, and I think the way Peyton's been playing it, And the way that he's been uh, sort of forcing everything through the running backs and not actually letting Wilson go downfield a lot does sort of speak to we want to win a certain type of way because we don't want to complicate this offseason decision. They win in this game to go to three and five. So, by the way, they were two and five coming in. If this sounds like it's too early in the season for them to have been packing it in, I don't actually think that. And this win brings them to three and five, but not really in contention because it is the more difficult conference by a lot. There are better teams in the AFC. Every team in the AFC North has a winning division, uh, a winning record right now. They are, I mean, they're tied with the Raiders who just fired their coach and, and and completely closed up shop. There's three teams in the AFC East that have winning records, including the Jets who, I mean, they they have a, a, a another Greek tragedy of a quarterback situation there. But there are enough good teams, enough games, like multiple games ahead of Denver that I don't think they're actually going to get any false hope about serious contention now they are going into the buy and one of the things is like yeah coming out of the buy things can be different and I might be completely wrong on this but my mindset right now is a lot of pessimism around that team
1: Ben I had mentioned briefly the situation with Tua the situation with Sam how we would have loved to have seen the backup quarterback there Jacoby Brissett, get traded just to make it Even a little bit clearer. But I guess I don't see even with how poorly he's played in some of the games, I don't see how they could ever go away from the guy who played the way Howell played in week eight against the Philadelphia Eagles. I he's the QB eight right now. That doesn't necessarily reflect where he is in reality. And yet, I do think that him as a top 10 quarterback at some point in the future is very much. A reality possibility i think you've got to get every moment of experience you can for him going forward tua is the qb4 i mentioned that i think he could score more points in the future one of the things that is i think provocative controversial interesting about these qbs is that you have tua at four he was one of our highest targets howl at eight one of our highest targets purdy at nine one of the guys that we wanted to add a lot late Certainly some other names that we liked, like Kenny Pickett has, I mean, that's completely and totally exploded. I had mentioned to people that I thought Desmond Ritter is somebody you should add for free and see if things develop there with his weapons and with the potential scrambling ability. That has completely and totally melted down, obviously. So it's not like the QB position has been a clean run for us, but what you're looking to do across these teams is to create upside at good prices. Not just get scoring, but get good scoring you don't have to pay completely for and to structure your teams in a way that all of the misses don't hurt you. I talked a lot about, you know, draft a bunch of guys late because you don't know for sure. You can feel pretty strongly about someone like a Sam Howell, but I mean, there's probably a a universe out there where a couple additional plays went poorly and he's no longer the starter, (laughs) even though he looks like a star. You don't know ahead of time if that's, you know, how that's going to go. So I really like where we are at QB, but some of those QBs I think are interesting in terms of Tua. You know, where are we now in terms of getting Jalen Waddle? One of the things that really stood out to me this last week is that Jalen Waddle finally has a game from a scoring perspective, from a fantasy perspective, that if you drafted him a lot in round two like we did... You feel a little better about you know some more of those games are coming, but then there were three balls in that game. And I just think a good receiver has to catch on top of what he did. And you could even see kind of Tua, who is very much this sort of stoic leader and and, and just good teammate. I mean, you could almost see him there being like, Man, if I get a choice between Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, I'm gonna throw the guy who doesn't drop the ball all the time. And so you got a little bit of that right there. Obviously, with Howell, you have the breakout game for Jahan Dotson, and then you get the weird replay review late. You also have Terry McLaurin. Now, these aren't like clear-cut drops, and they weren't the best thrown balls that Howell had in that game by any stretch. They were some of the, the weaker throws. But McLaurin fails to make two catches that a good receiver has to make at the end of that game, costing him a chance to get the big signature upset against the Eagles. I think that part was interesting. Certainly now that you have... The QB change with the Falcons. So across these teams, are there big moments, big plays, or big uh, shifts that we're going to see going forward? What are you seeing in the future as maybe the most important out of those three, four guys, those three, four teams?
0: probably don't have time to get into today, but I I mentioned it in a recent ceiling Signals and we need to explore going forward. But it's something that, I mean, I I, I spent a lot of the show talking about all these things that we got right, that we could argue that we kind of got a little bit wrong. I have spent a lot of time saying that it's wrong to think about like number one receivers as number ones and how some of these teams have two number ones. But one of the things with Waddle, and I think it's true with Devonta Smith and AJ Brown this year, is we have seen the number one assert themselves more and one of the pieces of data that i've seen recently i'll give a shout out to uh, a former cbs colleague jacob gibbs who's done a really good job with a lot of data on twitter i don't or on x whatever you call it i don't have that right in front of me but i know I, i know he was a part of a conversation i can't remember exactly where it started but it was essentially uh splitting up the production between two high and one high looks right and so then he had i think from some data provider, open field, uh, closed middle of the field, what have you. And and the, it was like yards per out run data on those two sets. And and on two highs, it was very balanced. On on single high looks, you had a massive gap between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. You had a massive gap between A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith and several other clear number one situations. I think Jamar Chase and T. Higgins also fits where I think the ways that you know, the offenses are evolving and we've talked about this in the macro about the ways that offenses and defense are pushing, and pulling and all these things, the two high covered shell, et cetera, that we've talked about being a real challenge to passing games. The way that it's evolving is when offenses can get the defenses into a single high. It does feel like the quarterbacks are going to their superstar number ones at a really high rate in those situations. They're saying, I have Jamar Chase, I have AJ Brown, I have Tyreek Hill. It might even be the case in Washington. I have Terry McLaurin, and I, you know, that it's it has meant that these number twos are more like number twos. They're being used a little bit more situationally. You talked about Jalen Waddle missing some of those opportunities. I do think there's some data that suggests that it's not just like these number twos aren't playing well enough. It's that the number ones are sort of ingrained in a role that when they get certain looks, I also wrote about with uh, Miami and, and Philly this offseason, season, the RPO offenses and how those can be more concentrated. And I think that's probably part of it as well, though, where some of the targets are, the throws are happening on the RPO because of maybe a single high look or something, right? So that it becomes a throw. The safety comes down the box. They throw the ball. I don't, I don't know exactly what their reads are and those types of things, but the, The RPO design is either a handoff or a throw to one specific guy, and it can't be a progression because then you get an eligible man downfield. The the offensive linemen are run blocking. For anyone who doesn't remember all that discussion, we talked about a lot in the offseason. But essentially, the idea is it's either a run play or a target to a specific player that is the pass part of the run pass option RPO. And so I do think there's probably an element there which plays in, which Miami – Philly, two of the teams that and when I wrote about RPOs this, this offseason, I focused on a ton because those were two of the biggest RPO offenses in the league. But it is interesting and it is something that I want to look more into. I don't have a lot of great answers on it, but it does seem to be the case. The ways that defenses are playing now is actually shifting us back toward. We talked for a few years there, Sean, when we went to three wide receiver sets and more open offenses and the shotgun rate exploded and more receivers were getting on the field that we weren't getting elite number one usage the way we used to because we used to always say hey remember when brandon marshall had that 40 percent target share year remember when you know julio jones and calvin johnson had 200 target seasons that's not happening anymore right well we're kind of shifting back it seems based on the ways that defenses shut down some things and offenses have had to counter um we're still in a lot of shotgun you know three wide sets but they're it's more situational about like where the ball is going to go, like based on what the defense is showing. Obviously, defenses that are, are rolling coverages is a big part of it, and it just there must be something here. I don't know what it is. I'm excited to talk more about it and think more about it and look more into it. But something here that is actually funneling more targets towards the number ones in these offenses, which then does, you know, counter the point that I always made, which was like, yeah, I mean, these guys are running. Routes together, they're both number ones. Jamar Chase and Teagans are both number ones. Yeah, Chase is better, but like Higgins is really good in his own right. He has an opportunity to earn targets. I think there's a lot of these situations where the number two doesn't really have an opportunity to earn the target, whether it's an RPO, whether it's a defensive look, what have you. It's going to Tyreek Hill as opposed to Waddle. And I do think that's going to shift our, our perception of the gap between number ones and number twos in various offenses. Or could, or maybe already should have, and maybe that continues to rotate. Maybe the next step of that is that they have to do some of that with their number twos and incorporate their number twos more. I don't know. We're early stages, right? But uh, Tyreek Hill, fastest player in NFL history to 1,000 yards, eight games. A.J. Brown, not far behind him, has added 30 yards per game to his yards per game total from last year in his first year with the Eagles, which was a career high for him. And Tyreek Hill's was a career high for him, I believe. And he's at 25 or so yards per game. They are in the top seven. A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill all time in receiving yards per game right now as we currently sit. They could go on to absolutely historic seasons. They've consolidated stuff in a way that I didn't think was possible with Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell in those offenses. And the reasons why for that maybe are a lot more complex than I just said, but those are some initial things that I've seen that I think are very interesting.
1: And I think as we get the push and pull, one of the things that we'll be looking for, certainly if you you got a lot, of Smith and Waddle, in the middle to late second round, we could still see that pull back in the second half. Just, I mean, looking at the numbers as you mentioned, absolutely extraordinary. Tyreek Hill having this historic start, and yet, I mean, your guy, A.J. Brown, has, I mean, he's got like a hundred more air yards even than Tyreek Hill. The usage there for him. Then there are four players who right now have a 33% target share and, uh, you know, on, on more of a full season, Cooper cup does as well, but it's only played the four games. And it really reinforces that if you have a 33% target share, there's no way you can be anything other than a high end wide receiver. One, obviously you've got Stefan Diggs, Tyree kill Jamar chase and Garrett Wilson, right? 467 yards, two touchdowns.
0: I mean, isn't that so frustrating? He would be absolutely smashing Sean. There's nothing I'm more confident in than that Garrett Wilson, the the process was correct. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't tear his Achilles on the first freaking snaps of the year, we would have way more evidence. Even if he played three games, I think those would have been three monster Garrett Wilson games and then towards Achilles, uh Garrett you know, Rodgers tears his Achilles. I think we would have all been very comfortable saying man, Garrett Wilson got screwed. He was going to have a monster season. Unfortunately, we don't have the production to back it up, but he's earning volume in the way that you would expect him to. Zach Wilson continues to be really bad. I know there are people that are like, yeah, they're doing okay. They're winning some games. He's bad. He's really bad. I'm sorry. Like I've I've said it a lot over the last couple of years, but he, I mean, he missed a third and two pass on a flat route to Brees Hall that you just have to have. He throws it at his kneecaps. Like, it's such an easy like rollout pass. It was one that I wrote up. I know last week for stealing signals. There are several plays though. Uh, I can't think of all of them, but one of the things Sean you mentioned about the Jacoby Brissett trade that I, I mean I just have thought a lot about this year. Is it's just so unfortunate. You want a hot take? We need backup quarterbacks to be in like some pool where teams can like bid on them like free agent budget money. Somehow, it is so unfair to us as football fans and as fantasy fans and to the quarterbacks themselves that the, uh, you know, quarterbacks are going to get hurt. The ones that get hurt, we don't get a, always have the best backup in that on that roster. Right. So you have Gardner Minshew uh, as one I was talking about as a positive and Anthony Richardson looked like a guy who could have been a, a star this year in fantasy. And some of the quarterback stuff you're talking about has been so, you know, hammered by these injuries by players like him. But you have Minshew there. That's a positive. But in so many other spots, we don't have guys. I was talking to some people that I was excited that Tyrod Taylor got another opportunity. And then he gets hurt as well. But to have Brissett, like you said, in Washington, to have Andy Dalton, who looked good in this opportunity with the Panthers, he's a name that got floated as a potential trade candidate, maybe to Minnesota, right? We did get Joshua Dobbs moved around a couple times at the end of training camp and then now to go play um, where there was an opening. But to, to have those guys in spots where you know we're, we're sending out Zach Wilson, for example, and we can't – I mean, just get Andy Dalton to, to the Jets somehow, right? Or Jameis Winston, people talked about. It. I don't even want to watch Jameis Winston anymore, but I do know he's going to chuck the ball around and p- players are going to be able to catch the ball. It's not – it. whatever. There's got to be some way for us to get these quarterbacks that have to sign on as backup somewhere into the available opportunities – for the whole league's sake, can we turn into a socialistic backup quarterback situation? I'm ready to vote
1: for It's, it's been bizarre, too, because I, if you had told me that the Jets would play this well otherwise and would not figure something out at quarterback, I would simply not have believed you because you've got P.J. Walker, who basically is giving the Browns like everything that Deshaun Watson was giving them. You have Tyrod Taylor before he very sadly gets hurt again, giving the Giants everything that Daniel Jones was giving them you have as you mentioned joshua dobbs which when you contrast where the vikings are and the push that they made even though in some ways it would make some sense for them to take a step back and contrast that with what the jets have done there i mean there are a lot of different situations like this around the nfl where the backups have done some very interesting things i mean andy dalton was fantastic in his appearance there are guys available and one of the things that i did wonder a little bit about and i think that probably because you know his best game again came just the most recently it makes it a little bit harder but there had to have been points in time this year where the commanders were a little bit uncertain what they were going to do you could very clearly have pride not just jacoby Brissetta away but you could have gotten sam howell and i mean you imagine sam howell there with garrett wilson i just have some guts. I mean, do, do what it takes to make some of these plays. And one of the things that we witnessed with the commanders giving away some of their other players is that, I mean, you can get big names for picks that aren't that big a deal. If there is any kind of, you know, salary issue or future issue, if there's any kind of question mark, you know, you've got to be aggressive. The teams that, you know, (laughs) let the 49ers go out, and add more talent to their roster. The 49ers are like we are just going to go ahead and draft weird guys every draft because we can use other picks to take other people's best players for nothing. <laughs> so why wouldn't we just do that? <laughs> yeah.
0: And but, then they just uh, let all these free agents walk the pick they sent for Chase Young is is one of their projected compensatory picks, which I think they were they're projected to have three third round compensatory picks and they they sent one of those. So it's an, it's an after the third round compensatory pick. It's going to be about pick 100 or something like that. Uh, The bears by contrast sent a second round pick to get Montez sweat. The other commanders D end theirs is going to be like a top five pick in the second round. And then you're, so you're talking about a massive gap between those two and that's what the, you know, the bears do. And that's what the 49ers do. So an interesting
1: trade deadline, exciting last several weeks, then it's so fun to be back with you. We hope that the listeners are having similar results. We know that obviously not every league is going perfectly, but, Usually our portfolios act as a somewhat one-to-one proxy with the portfolios of listeners. And so 2023, really moving in the direction of a fun fantasy season for the Seedling Bananas community. We love you guys. It's great to be back with you. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Lines, the betting project there with Dalton Cates. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals Gold and get your chance to interact with Ben. We'd love to have you guys over there at Rotaviz. I love what uh, some of our young writers are doing. I love what Curtis and Dave and Blair are doing with our signature pieces. The, I mean, I'm obviously super biased, but it was so much fun to write my articles this week and explore the data that we have and the tools. I think the tools are worth the price of the subscription. Again, I'm biased. (laughs) Uh, Leave us a rating and review. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.